welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. On this episode of Anchored, Tom continues his discussion on the inerrancy of Scripture by putting together a historical argument for biblical inerrancy. Now here's Tom exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. There are two basic lines of argument for biblical inerrancy. The first is the historical argument, and the second is the biblical arguments. So let's briefly consider, first of all, the historical argument. Greg Allison, in his book, Historical Theology, writes this, The church has historically acknowledged that Scripture in its original manuscripts and properly interpreted is completely true and without any error in everything that it affirms, whether that has to do with doctrine, moral conduct, or matters of history, cosmology, geography, and the like. By the way, hit a pause button there. This book, Greg Allison's book, Historical Theology, traces the flow of what the church has believed about doctrine through its life. And this is his statement. He goes on to say, over time, the church has expressed this conviction by applying a number of terms to the Bible, such as truthful, inerrant, and infallible. No matter what term you use, the church from its outset was united in its belief that the Word of God is true and contains no error. The first significant challenge to this belief did not arise until the 17th century, end quote. So understand that what you read, what you hear, the attacks that come from within the church on the issue of inerrancy are modern challenges from within the church. Allison quotes a number of the church fathers to support his point. For example, Clement of Rome wrote, You have searched the Scriptures, which are true. You know that nothing unrighteous or counterfeit is written in them. Irenaeus said the Scriptures are indeed perfect. The early church fathers understood the infallibility of Scripture in two ways. First of all, they understood it to be this, what Scripture affirms always corresponds to reality. Listen to Tertullian. The statements of Holy Scripture will never be discordant with truth. Augustine, I have learned to ascribe to those books which are of canonical rank and only to them such reverence and honor that I firmly believe that no single error due to the author is found in any one of them. This is 400 A.D. What Scripture affirms always corresponds to reality. The second part of what they meant to affirm by this infallibility is this, Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. Irenaeus puts it this way, all Scripture which has been given to us by God shall be found by us perfectly consistent. Justin Martyr, I am entirely convinced that no Scripture contradicts another. Athanasius, it is the opinion of some that the Scriptures do not agree or the God who gave them is false. 
But there is no disagreement at all. Far from it. Neither can the Father, who is truth, lie. For it is impossible that God should lie. Those are the early church fathers. This continued to be the argument of the Reformation. Luther put it this way. Everyone indeed knows that at times they, that is the early church fathers, have erred as men will. Therefore, I am ready to trust them only when they prove their opinions from Scripture, which has never erred. The Westminster Confession calls the Scripture the only infallible rule of faith and practice. It speaks of the entire perfection of Scripture and the consent of all of its parts. Luther went on to say, not only the scripture, has the Scripture never erred, he says it cannot err. I mentioned the Chicago Council in October of 1978. 334 evangelical leaders gathered to articulate what is now known as the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy. By the way, if you haven't read that, you ought to read it. You ought to read it. It's online. It's not that long. And it is so foundational to our faith. It is simply the articulation of what the church has always taught, what I'm sharing with you right now. And here is part of the summary statement of the Chicago Statement. Being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching, no less in what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God, than in its witness to God's saving grace in individual lives. It's all equal. It speaks truthfully in all those categories. Article 12 of that same document says this, We affirm that Scripture in its entirety is inerrant, being free from all falsehood, fraud, or deceit. We deny that biblical infallibility and inerrancy are limited to spiritual, religious, or redemptive themes exclusive of assertions in the fields of history and science. We further deny that scientific hypothesis about earth history may properly be used to overturn the teaching of Scripture on creation and the flood. This is what the church has historically believed. And by the way, from the beginning, the church has understood the devastating result if there is just one mistake in the Bible. I don't think anyone has put it any better than Augustine did. He wrote, remember now, this is 400 approximately A.D. It seems to me that most disastrous consequences must follow upon our believing that anything false is found in the sacred books. That is to say that the men by whom the scriptures have been given to us and committed to writing did put down in these books anything false. For if you once admit into such a high sanctuary of authority one false statement, there will not be left a single sentence of those books which, if appearing to anyone difficult in practice or hard to believe, may not by the same fatal rule be explained away. That is a fabulous quote. Just look at the end of that again. If you admit into such a high sanctuary of authority one false statement... There will not be left a single sentence which, 
if appearing to someone to be difficult in practice or hard to believe may not by the same fatal rule be explained away. He's absolutely right. Once you come to a place where you're willing to say there's something false in the Scripture, then you get to decide what is and isn't true. And it will be driven by your own fallenness. If any part is in error, then any part may be in error. And we have no way to be sure. It may not be about the existence of Belshazzar. It might be the gospel. By the way, Augustine's confidence in the truthfulness of all Scripture included creation ex nihilo, that is, God created everything out of nothing, the creation of humanity no more than 6,000 years before his time, the long lifespans of men and women before the flood, and a worldwide flood. As Allison, in his book Historical Theology, puts it, Clearly, Augustine believed that biblical inerrancy extended to matters of cosmology and human origins. John MacArthur, in a book that has not yet been published, it's a book we will encourage you to get early next year. It's a systematic theology that he's putting out. Yes, I have a pre-publication copy. (laughs) Sorry, I hate to rub that in. here's, Here's what he writes. The errantist view of accommodation. In other words, it's just accommodating science and the culture. That's all it is. It's compromise. He says, it is inconsistent with itself. How can one be sure that God can rightly convey to man spiritual truths concerning matters of faith and practice if he cannot guarantee the facts of history are rightly recorded? If one affirms that the Bible is free from error in leading man to a right knowledge of God in salvation then what prevents God from equally securing truthfulness for the rest? If God is able to keep the writers free from error at all, such as in writing spiritual truths, then there's no reasonable grounds to conclude that he was unable to secure a factual account of scientific and historical records. Now folks, what I want you to understand is that until the 17th century, No one in church history, that is, no one mainstream evangelical in the life and history of the church, questioned the inerrancy of Scripture. So how did all the great minds in the history of the church come to understand this great truth in the quotes that I've just shared with you? From the claims of the Scripture itself. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored. Unleashed.